G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. This one coming at you on a Tuesday morning, unique time slot for the SBF pod, but over the course of the next 20-25 minutes I will explain A, why I'm coming at you on Tuesday morning, B, when the next podcast will be coming, and C, what is going on in the AFL fantasy realm and the NBA. Obviously, round four is in the books, the AFL, a couple of takeaways, and then I'm going to run through some of the hot fantasy headlines. And in the NBA, the playoff field is set. I'm very excited as a Cleveland Cavaliers fan to see us back in the business end of the season. And there's already been a couple of coaching changes as well, heading out of uh, the teams that did not make the cut. And the plane may be underway by the time you're listening to this, with a tiny little bit of betting bits and pieces at the end. So plenty of footy, plenty of basketball. Let's get around another episode. Let's start with my takeaways from round four. And I tell you what, I think I heard, what's his name? David King, maybe? One of those media type of characters said rolling into the start of this season that they think that we're about to witness the best season of AFL footy ever, which is hard to quantify what is the best season ever, right? Like how do you define out of the hundred plus years that footy has been around the season that delivered the most. And early on, we're getting a couple of interesting results and a couple of teams that are somewhat surprising, a couple of teams we expected to be up at the top of the ladder, and then a few others that have dipped down and underperformed so far. So across the board, every team has a win one month into the season. So that's encouraging. And there's only one team that has four straight dubs. That's the St. Kilda Saints. They've been really impressive over the first month of the season. And I was a hater call it someone that predicted them to slightly slide i thought the lack of a graders that they had outside of a healthy jack Steele, and maybe you can give a mention to rowan marshall and jack sinclair but i thought that the lack of supreme talent on their roster might do them in and they might struggle and fight in a similar position that they were last year but full credit goes to ross lyon he's been a defensive juggernaut anytime he has stepped into the AFL coaching ranks, and it's no surprise to learn that St. Kilda are conceding the fewest points through one month of footy. They've got wins against the Dockers, the Dogs, Essendon, and Gold Coast, who some of them may be playing finals footy, some maybe not, but you've still got to win the games in front of you, and they have looked impressive doing it. they got a pair of 50-point wins, and then obviously I, I kind of picked Gold Coast as a bit of a roughie or I expected them to put up a fight against St. Kilda, but again, full credit to the Saints because they did not, give Gold Coast any breathing room, really wrestled momentum away from them early in that contest and were able to roll to what in the end was a pretty easy dub. The Suns did hang around for a little bit, but by halfway through the third quarter, we all knew what the result was going to be. So credit to the Saints for their performances. It sets up a very interesting round five in the fixtures. We're going to get the Saints versus Pies. And there's a lot of people butthurt about that game not being played at the MCG, but whatever. I couldn't care less where it's played. It obviously would be more interesting if it was in Melbourne with a lot of the home fans, but I still think we're going to get a record clash between those two. The Dons and Demons, an interesting one as well, because I, much like my belief in St. Uh, lack of belief in St. Kilda, I have the same outlook with Essendon. I think they've overachieved early on and I'll be intrigued to see if they can prove me wrong and put up a fight against the D's. There's also a pretty interesting matchup between Adelaide and Carlton. The first game of round five, the gather round that's taking place in South Australia. I'll be intrigued to see if the Crows can put up a bit of a fight. They were one of my smokies to make the top eight 
this year and I picked Carlton to be a top four side. So I expect a pretty hot contest between those two. That transitions a little bit into my second takeaway because Adelaide got an important win against the Dockers this week. And I tell you what, as a Fremantle fan, alarm bells are ringing. I couldn't even watch the second half. Part of the reason was because I had uh, Easter commitments and I didn't physically get to watch the second half. But I'm glad that I wasn't able to force myself to sit through that it wasn't really a bloodbath, but it felt like a bloodbath. There was no momentum for the Dockers. You could say that for the entire month of the season they've played so far. They've only got one win on the season. Their offense is still really struggling. They're giving up points, which is something that traditionally the Dockers sides in the last couple of weeks, uh, last couple of years rather, haven't done, even if they haven't been winning. So I think there's probably a bit more pain on the way. And there's a big danger game coming up against the Gold Coast this weekend because they drop that and they go to one and five. There's no way that they're, I want them four rather. There's no way that they're playing finals footy in my calculations. I think that they will have a couple of other games at Optus Stadium and a slightly lighter fixture after their Adelaide stint. But I was very unimpressed with what Fremantle dished up. And I think it's also a credit to Adelaide, but it's more glaring what's going on with the Dockers. Number three, somewhat sticking with a, a South Australia theme. Port Adelaide got a massive win over the Swans. Some people, including myself, had Sydney sliding slightly from their successes last year. But if you've been listening to any of my stuff, you'll know that I'm not really a believer in Port Adelaide. And they've got a very intriguing matchup against the Bulldogs now, who are one spot below them on the ladder. And the winner of that game could vault themselves into the top eight after five rounds of footy. So shout out to Port. They proved me wrong. But I do wonder if it's just one of those early season victories where Sydney still haven't really found their mojo and are still just getting over the, I was going to say premiership hangover, but sorry, Swans fans, that is not a thing. Um, Sticking with premiership hangovers, number four, I'm going to Geelong, who are going to be just fine. They obviously capitulated Hawthorne coming out of halftime. I barely watched much of the fourth quarter because as a Tom Stewart fantasy owner, there wasn't a lot to get excited about, but the Cats are rolling. They got themselves back up to what we expected them to look like. And I think this perform or the performance that they showed yesterday will really help their momentum move forward. Uh, here's a useless SBF stat for you. It actually comes via Daniel Cherney on Twitter. So shout out to that character. Uh, Hawthorne has been outscored 11 to 158 in three quarters this year, which is pretty astronomical. You take away the 65 point uh, margin against Geelong on the weekend. And that number is still sitting around the 90 mark. So effectively they've been outscored by five goals in each third quarter and then got embarrassed yesterday against uh, the Cats as well. So not great signs for the Hawthorne Hawks, but we all kind of knew where they would be this season. Last little tidbit and takeaway from the round is the Toby Nankervis injury. And that's going to be brutal for the Tigers who are sitting in 12th. They stumbled against the Bulldogs this week. And I don't want to say alarm bells should be ringing, but there's a lot of their top tier talent that is either playing through injury or battling health issues or not firing. So we could really see a bit of a free fall here from the Tigers. And it might be really tough for them to then make a run in the second half of the season. They're going to lose Tom Lynch for a while. He's injured his foot plus going to the tribunal. Jaden Shorts had his injury issues to start the season. Even Dusty, uh, Jacob Hopper, Trent Cotchin, Jack Rewalt, a few of them have been in and out of the lineup with minor niggles, et cetera. But I do think that the Tigers need to be careful because if they drop another couple of games, they're sitting at two and two, uh, one, two and one rather, because they have that draw opening round with Carlton, but they've got the Swans coming up this week. So all of a sudden, if you're staring down the barrel of being uh, one, three and one call it, it's not an ideal star. And given the 
miles already on the legs of their elder statesmen, I do wonder if they'll be able to make a charge in the back half of the year. All right, I don't want this podcast to take too long, so I'm just going to whiz through the fantasy stuff very quickly. Now, I want to take you back to a wonderful, wonderful time in the history of our great game, fantasy footy. Not necessarily from a fantasy standpoint, but the classic, epic game that everyone knows about, Carlton versus South Melbourne back in 1914. It was unbelievable. I still can't believe that Harry Rawley, the umpire, got this decision wrong. If you're not aware, then Ernie Jamison leapt into the back of, uh, what's his name, Tommy Bollard, late in the game. They were deep at full forward. Ernie comes over and punches the ball away. Definite free kick, though. So a free kick wasn't given. Six-point margin in Carlton's favour. Final minute of the grand final. So I can't believe that Hazard, the main umpire, missed that one and allowed the ball to be cleared and Carlton secured their fourth ever premiership. Why am I telling you this useless shit, you ask? Because 1914 was also the score by my fantasy side on the weekend. I went into the round actually pretty optimistic. I ended up changing James Warple to Tommy Stewart. And boy, oh boy, did that not work. The other trade I was looking at was Rory Laird to James Sicily. So at least I can kind of feel a little bit better about myself. But a 1914 is what the boys dished up. And it wasn't the performance that I was expecting in round four. I ranked 46,000th in the competition for points, which takes my overall rank back to just inside the top 25K. Not fucking ideal. Although I did do a little bit of maths. I'm only about 100 points of halving my rank and being around the 13,000 mark. So I have confidence that some of the moves I've made have set me up for success in the future, but there's a couple of underperformers have got to go. I'll quickly whiz through the results throughout the round and uh, a couple of other popular names. So if we're going towards the round four games, the match start, oops, the round started rather with Brisbane versus Collingwood. As a non-Nick Dacos owner, this game hurt to watch, but I think he's in my trade plans at the moment. A uh, special shout out to Cam Rayner. He performed really well in that game. Not exactly a fantasy guy, but he chopped. Will Ashcroft and Josh Dunkley combined for a solid score, I guess you could say. If you said that Dunkley got 100 and Ashcroft got 60, you would have taken that. But as a non-Dacos owner, it hurts to watch him dominate each week with him running around there like a headless chook. Uh, speaking of headless chooks and domination in the defense, Harry Sheasel continues to get it done. 37 touches, 119. This kid is a superstar. I did think about trading for Jack Zebel, and I'm a bit bummed that I didn't follow through on that. He nearly had 30 touches and a score of 100. Another player who's definitely in my sights this week. LDU came back and didn't exactly fire. He had 30 touches, but 20 of them were handballs, but he'll be all right. He scored a 90, and I expect him to trend upwards. Doherty, a lot of people had the V or the C on him, which is disappointing. And I was one of the mainstream coaches also fielding Ollie Hollands. Rolling into the Adelaide and Frio game, this was an important one because I had Rory Laird and Andy Brayshaw sitting there. I ended up putting the C on Brayshaw. Luckily, he helped himself to seven tackles and a pretty big last quarter that helped fuel his score. Shout out to Jordan Dawson, though, who moved into the midfield and is seriously seeing a lot more CBAs that we thought might impact his scoring, but he had a game high 122 and he was fantastic. So he deserves mention. Rory Laird, I talked about it for the last week or so. He's still getting his close to 30 touches a game, but he's just not playing as the same fantasy player that we all expect him to be at the start of the season. So if you're an owner, I definitely think it's time to jump ship. He's only just going to keep going down in value. Carlton is not an easy matchup this week. And although he's got the Hawks in Utah's after that, he then has Adelaide, Geelong and St. Kilda. So I'll definitely be cutting bait with Rory. And I think I might even trade him to the aforementioned Caleb Sarong, who 
had another impressive game for the Dockers. And I have to just wait and see, I guess, what uh, team selection brings. Timmy English, he was the top scorer in the next game of the Bulldogs, just Pip and Richmond. Monstrous performance. I have compared this bloke to a somewhat Dean Cox clone. He had nine tackles, six marks, 20 touches, 23 hitouts, two goals. I think that that's as complete a stat line as you'll see from a fantasy ruckman. So non-owners, if I was you, I would be quick smart making a play for TE. Timmy Taranto, average 114 on the season. So you guessed it, he scored 114. So pretty stoked that he continues to get it done. The rest of the Bulldogs midfield is always a bit clunky. McRae, he only had 89 and a pretty meager 21 touches by his standards. And then the Bont had hot moments where he looked great, laid an absurd 12 tackles, but only finished on 108. So I honestly have the most faith, most faith rather, in Tom Liberatore at the moment. He had a 114 against the Tiggies. Saints and Suns, not a huge number of fantasy players. It was a bummer to see Roe Marshall uh, Cop the sub vest. He was on the 107 when that happened. So a bit of a kick in the guts. Noz Anderson found his feet, a massive 159. I'm a little bit worried about trading for him. 825, he's going to cost you back. I think there's some others around that price bracket that I have a bit more faith in. And the second and third respective scorers in that game, Brad Crouch and Took Miller, continue to get it done as fantasy stars. Crouchy in particular is intriguing me as a potential pivot point from Royal Ed. And I'll talk about that with my trades momentarily. Errol Goulden was probably the most successful scorer out of the mainstream players in the Port Swans matchup. He had 95, needed all four quarters to chew his score that high, but Bungerhorn Francis, only a 69, not ideal. Connor Rosie, the same digits, but actually looked all right, so I wouldn't be rage trading him just yet. Shout out to Ollie Florent, who probably had the best game of his fantasy and actual career with a 122. Nearly, nearly kicked the... Uh, Match winner as well. The Dons got it done against the Giants on Sunday. Nick Haynes, very sneaky draft pickup. He had 17 marks, mind you. I don't expect that every week, but he could be one to trust. Tom Green and Zach Merritt keep getting it done. Josh Kelly looked great. Will Setterfield has turned out to be a fantastic pick. And I don't have him currently, and I'm considering it, but I've missed a lot of his cash growth already. So I think I'd prefer to trade for a more proven scorer at this point. Someone like a Darcy Parrish. He only had 96 on the weekend, but is still getting it done. Finn Callahan was chalked out by a lot of players and then obviously went on to still score an 88. So that's a bit of a bummer if you went down that route. Shout out to Tim Kelly for what he did in the uh, West Coast Melbourne game. We did all expect the D's to win and eventually it turned into a 10-goal dub fueled by the big three, Clayton Oliver, Christian Petrarca and Brody Grundy. So no surprises to see them at the top of the pecking order. Jaden Hunt looked fantastic for West Coast from an actual fantasy standpoint. It was tough to stand out in a 10-goal drubbing. Cozzy Pickett could have kicked an actual bag, and that would have been very different for his score. So I don't hate the idea of going after him, but he's just too awkwardly priced for me to seriously suggest it. Cade Chandler started a little bit slow, but got his scoring rate up and finished with a 64. So I was pretty impressed with what he did. Uh, Jinby had a quieter one and Van Ruin. Some people trusted on the field, and he didn't exactly click. Special mention to Judd McVie, who I thought might have been dropped or in danger of losing his spot, but had a second straight solid game, scoring a 58. So if you invested in, in him, then your defensive bench should be fine, which could be very important on a week like uh, this one. Jezza Cam was the top scorer in the final game of the round. Mitch Duncan, I did slightly consider making a play for him, but I thought it was just too risky. So I went with what I thought was the safe thing in Tommy Stewart, who dished up a meagre 70. Not ideal, but there was a couple of moments where he just missed an easy switch or he was a little bit behind the footy, it bounced the wrong way, missed a tackle, etc. So I think that very easily could have been an 85 to 90. So I'm not too worried. And Jack Bowes, 
might be my MVP for the round. And I know that's hard to say considering he only scored 82, but he's 1% owned. When Tom Stewart first got injured, I traded to this bloke and he only had 14 points at halftime. So I was ready to rage trade him as soon as lockout lifted. And then he responded with a monstrous second half, 68 points, if you don't mind. So that happened because Jed Buse got concussed, went out of the game and Bose went back to playing a bit of a kick behind the ball or being a bit of a link up player. First half, he was just all at sea playing as a half forward. So if you are one of the minute Jack Bowes owners, we'll have to wait and see if he's playing off the halfback flank or the half forward flank, because that'll dictate whether he stays in my side or not. So turning my attention to trades very briefly, Will Day is probably going to get suspended if the news hasn't already dropped for his tackle early in the Hawks-Cats uh, clash. So that does leave us in a bit of a precarious position down back. I think I'm going to try and chop out a Rory Laird type and then use a bit of DPP, get Jimby into my midfield to get Nick Dacos. I think he's a must-have player, the top-scoring defender at the moment, and that gives me a back three of Doherty, Dacos, Stewart with Day and Bowes. So not many rookies floating around, and if carnage does happen this week, then I'll just kind of cop it. And that means that I've got enough money to turn Andy McGrath in my midfield up to Caleb Sarong. I don't think that his 107 that he's averaging is a fluke. I think he's going to be at least in the low hundreds. He's technically scored one point less than Andy Brayshaw this season. And he hasn't really got a lot of tagging attention. He's only in six and a half percent of teams compared to Brayshaw's nearly 34%. So I'm taking a, not a punch, but I'm investing a lot in these players who are, you know, in the just under 10% ownership bracket. And I think that Caleb Sarong will continue to produce. I might chop a change things up. As I mentioned, Zeeble's an option. So I might ignore Sarong, pocket an extra hundred or so grand, and then get Zeeble. It'll depend a little bit on what happens with Will Day. There's rumours that Jindy might be rested. I could cop it and then just end up fielding Mateus Philippou. Yeah, there's tough times ahead. I know that it's 1914 is not a great total amount of points, but I'm confident, like I said, I'm only about 100 points off maybe nearly halving my rank. So I expect your boy to bounce back in round five. To the basketball we go. The playoff field is set, locked and loaded. The play-in matchups are ready to go. The playoff matchups are almost essentially set. So I'm going to make a couple of play-in predictions. Before I dive into that, I just want to briefly talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. So as most people know, I am a Cavs fan, and I'm going to show them a little bit of love for what they've done. They've had the best defense for the entire season, and I really think that they can take care of business against the Knicks in six games. Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland have had some clunky moments trying to figure out their end-of-game offense. And as a result, there hasn't really been a dominant stretch of close Ws for the Cavs. I don't think it's a huge thing to be alarmed by. And if I was a betting man, I predict them to go full ball into this Knicks series and win, and then maybe not embarrassingly lose, but I do expect them to then lose to the likes of Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, however the seedings pan out. At this stage, it would probably be the Bucks. Uh, their record in games that are under three points, this is Cleveland as five and eight. But that's exactly the same record as the Boston Celtics. So, you know, some of them work their way. Some of them don't. They do have a uh, losing record against teams above 500 as well, which is not something you can say for the three teams above them or a couple of the top teams in the West. So I think that hovering around like the sixth or seventh best team mark is where they deserve to be. And they will probably win a series and get bounced. But I predict them to win in six. Julius Randle's health will dictate a lot. And I don't think there'll be games that he misses, but a very isolation heavy offense that revolves around him going to work could struggle against Cleveland's defense. If 
they get their offensive, uh, their bits and pieces right, and they can perform on offense as well. Uh, quick side note: Paul George's health issues are still giving him problems, and there's no guarantees that he'll be fully fit to play in the Phoenix series, and he may even miss the first couple of games. I had a chat with my cousin, uh, one Stephen Fry. Shout out to Steve O if you're listening to this, and we compiled a couple of bets of what we thought the first round series might look like and how we think that they would unfold. Both of us picked the Suns to beat the Clippers in five. And I'll be honest, it might even be worse. It might be a Suns sweep if PG is going to be out. So not great news for Clippers fans. And they're not the only team going through issues at the moment. The Minnesota Timberwolves, yuck, man, what an absolute shit show. They uh, have suspended Rudy Gobert for their playing game against the Lakers. And I'll get to my playing predictions shortly, but Rudy Gobert has really damaged his stock incredibly this season. What might look like one of the worst trades, if not the worst trade in NBA history, acquiring him is only going to get worse at this rate. So the big man took a punch at Kyle Anderson in a timeout. And apparently the two kept exchanging words when they went back to the locker room at halftime and Rudy Gobert was sent home. So not great, not great, Barb, not ideal for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I do think that they're going to struggle to win one or even two games when it comes play in time. Uh, a couple of coaching things. Steven Silas is out in Houston. This is no huge shock. They didn't pick up his fourth option. So his three-year tenure as the leader of their rebuild comes to a close. But I expect a full clean of house for Houston. So again, not a shock. But he could be a very important assistant depending on where he lands. He's renowned for a bit of his player development with younger dudes. Didn't really get the opportunity to do that in Houston. But watch to see where he lands. And Dwayne Casey, who has been coaching in the NBA for decades. He's a legend who helped orchestrate and galvanize the, uh, what's the word, the Toronto Raptors franchise prior to them uh, winning their chip. He then spent another four or five years coaching in Detroit. He was a lengthy assistant with the Supersonics. Dallas Mavericks had plenty of cups of coffee in the college coaching system as well. So shout out to uh, Dwayne Casey, who has announced he's going to be stepping into a front office role for Detroit. I actually like the move. I think he's been obviously an unreal coach for the better part of four decades and having him around to still help that young team improve and trend upwards is a smart move by the coaching, uh, by the front office staff and the players who are people who are calling the shots for the Pistons. I do wonder who they're going to go after for the next coach. Do they want a young dude who can grow with the squad? Do they want a established head coach? Someone like a Stan Van Gundy is the first one that jumps to mind, who I think was a once upon a time Detroit Pistons coach and then got fired. But I do think that going after someone with a couple of reps is a smart tactic for the Pistons, but we'll have to wait and see uh, who ends up getting the gig there. Play in prediction time. I'm not going to take too long doing this, but I have the Heat beating the Hawks in the 7-8 matchup. At this stage, I just think Miami is the best team in that playoff bracket, in the play-in bracket, I should say, arguably in both conferences, but I don't expect them to have too much to say against Boston in the first round, but they're bound to win a game or two and just be pesky and get under the Celtics' skins. Then the other game, we'll have the Bulls and the Raptors going head-to-head. I'm siding with Chicago. There's only one game difference between the two, and I feel like they have how would I word this, finish the season better. They've been playing better basketball lately and the Toronto Raptors seem like they're just a little bit on autopilot and there's still rumours circulating about whether Nick Nurse is going to be the head coach next year or not. Seems this way that he's not going to be there. So he could be a candidate that pops up with uh, Houston or Detroit, mind you. But I do think that the Bulls will get the win and then as a result, we'll have a Hawks-Chicago matchup for the eighth seed. And I think Atlanta just gets the job done. They've probably got too much talent compared to Chicago to see them bow out and lose two in a row. 
but I wouldn't be shocked if uh, they did beat Miami in the first play-in game. And then they obviously lock in the seven seed. But I think that the seven and eight, Miami and Atlanta in that order are going to be the teams that represent the East out of the play-in game. Turning my attention to the West, the Lakers against the Timberwolves, to me, feels like an easy, easy bet. I know that uh, there's some being said about the Wolves' recent run of play, but all this Rudy Gobert shit really has just left a sour taste in my mouth. And the Lakers are rolling. They've had a really good record since after the All-Star break, and a lot of that time they've been playing without LeBron. The defense has picked up. They've obviously got a, a better complementary roster around their big dogs, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So I expect them to win and get the seven, which sets up a very interesting matchup against the Memphis Grizzlies. In the 9-10, the Pelicans versus the Thunder. The Thunder's been a really feel-good story, but I think the Pels are just better, and I think that they'll beat them somewhat convincingly. And then the Minnesota Timberwolves and New Orleans Pelicans game will actually be, I reckon, the best of this entire bunch. I expect it to go right down to the wire, potentially even to overtime. But I think the Pels will get up over Minnesota. Quick uh, betting tangent. Shout out to John Rahm for his Masters win and my cash influx. And now that the regular season is done and dusted, I have a report on the over and unders that I took at the start of the season. So we had the Nuggies over. 51 and a half. Jesus, they made me sweat it out because I thought that they were just going to cakewalk to a 50 plus win season. And then in the end, they ended 53 and 29, but still got it done. Uh, the Hornets, I had their under, which was 34 and a half, and they ended up with 27 wins. So cha-ching. The Washington Wizards, ugh, this one was agonizingly close. Their over was 35 and a half. And I thought that with the on-paper talent they had, there's no way that they don't at least do that and try and get towards the plane. So naturally the most disappointing franchise over the last couple of decades finishes half a game under loses their season finale against Houston. And as a result, they lose me some money, but that's okay. Cause overall I still did pretty good. The Sacramento Kings was my biggest lock of the season. Now I did not expect them to win 48 games and win the Pacific division title. But in saying that, I did couple all of my aforementioned team bets with the Kings hitting their over, which was 33 and a half, and then had a big flutter on the Kings to hit their over as well individually. So I ended up cleaning up somewhat in the uh, over and unders. And I think if I was looking at the field now, just from a betting standpoint, I've given you my play in picks, but a couple of the playoff series ones that I don't mind now that some of them are locked in, I would not be touching uh, the Clippers. And I don't think the Cavs, have enough uh, upside at $1.48. You then turn your attention towards the Brooklyn Nets and the Sixers. Sixers are very heavy favorites and similar with Golden State uh, favorites over the Sacramento Kings. So I don't love a lot of the series by series betting, but what I do like the idea of is potentially having a cheeky punt on the Western Conference Finals. Now, if you're looking at the current field, everyone knows that it's pretty jumbled up. There's a lot of love being given to the Phoenix Suns, but I'm not fully convinced they're 8-0 with KD in the lineup. But once you dig into it a little bit, you look at the teams that they beat, they were kind of shit. So, And a couple of the teams, the big names they played, they played them without their best players. So I think I'm going to have a little bit of a side wager on the Warriors at 4.30 to get out of the West and the Lakers at well at 6.50. I wouldn't be shocked if either of them were representing the Western Conference in the NBA Finals when the time does roll around. So if you are a betting enthusiast, that's probably where I would steer my attention as the NBA playoffs commence. 
that's all she wrote. A little bit of fantasy footy, a little bit of basketball. Uh, the next podcast that I am endeavouring to get to you will be my cash cows one. However, I'm going to Brisbane. I'm going to Brisbane and Melbourne for a week. I'm going up to Cairns after that to the Daintree Rainforest and then spending a bit of time at the Great Barrier Reef. So the podcasts may be slightly thin and few and far between in the next couple of weeks, but rest assured, I will be pumping out as much content as possible. I will be joining uh, the great man, J-Lo. So who knows? I might even be able to get him to sit down and uh, chew the fat, talk a little bit of fantasy footy and NBA as well. But that's all I've got for this episode. As always, muchly appreciated for you tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the channel for future episodes. Till next time, peace.